I've, I've just noticed you're wearing yellow shoes. Well done. Hello, everyone. Just going to check that we can get the mics to work, but we're all good. Thank you so much for coming to our favourite Waterstones, because there is a bar, and it's an evening, and we're just going to have a really nice conversation. So just to introduce um, myself, I'm Emma, and I'm going to put this on the podcast. So Control-Alt-Delete-Podcast sometimes does live events, and they are so much fun because I get to interview amazing people in the company of all of you. So I have roped in to celebrate the launch of the multi-hyphen method. Um, I feel like David Brent because I've been on the road. Um, I went to Bristol, went to Exeter last night, and then I've got Manchester and Edinburgh. And it's really exciting because I think the message of the book, which is obviously to not pigeonhole yourself, to really embrace quite a zigzaggy career, have lots of different things that you like doing, not be ashamed of having fingers in pies, I feel like it is a movement. I don't feel like it's just me doing this. We are all doing this. And it's exciting that the response has been of all ages, of all locations. I had an 88-year-old woman come up to me the other day saying that this book came out at a good time for her <laughs> in her life. And I was like, I love you. So really exciting. So I've roped in two amazing people who I just think are going to be incredible tonight because... Well, we have Chidera here, the slum flower. I'm sure you all know who she is. This woman is amazing and a multi-hyphenate. So you are a multi-hyphenate I love, so that is why I've invited you along. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to ask you both to introduce yourselves really quickly in a minute, but Louise Trowen is head of marketing at Bumble, VP, global MVP, VIP, big deal at Bumble. You are in every country every day. Um, so... Would you please introduce yourselves very quickly for everyone and then we'll kick off with the questions. Hello? Okay, that's a bit better. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Louise Trowen. um, And yeah, as Emma mentioned, I am the VP of International Marketing and Communications for Bumble. Um, For anyone that doesn't know, Bumble started as a dating app back in 2014. um, And now we pride ourselves on being a fully-fledged social networking app. Um, that enables a safe, respectful, and empowering place for people to connect, both in love, in friendship, and recently, last October, in business. Um, I'm based here in London with a fantastic team around me, uh, and my job is to both manage uh, markets like France, Spain, uh, Germany, the UK, oversee uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, all our international markets outside of America, Um, And I also work quite closely on our expansion work. So where are we going next? Why are we going there? And how are the people in those markets going to receive us? Um, First and foremost, because, you know, we are a female first product. We are rooted in gender equality. And that's something we have to take into account when launching in new markets and their perception of that. Um, And also from a digital point of view. So how are people finding new relationships? Why are they looking online? And how can we engage them with the product? So I'm, I'm super excited to be here tonight. We have a fantastic relationship with Emma. She's someone that we, thinks, uh, we think holds all of our values really true to who she is, both in her personal and professional life. Um, and yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to this evening. Hello, everyone. I'm Chidera, popularly known online as the Slum Flower. I am the creator of a very viral and necessary movement called Hashtag Saggy Boobs Matter. And I'm also... A, 
They do matter. <laughs> and I'm also the author of What a Time to Be Alone. My work revolves around me using the internet to equip women with the knowledge and confidence required to essentially take over her own life and not allow anybody to tell her who she is. And I do that through Twitter, through Instagram, through my blog, through my book. So that's pretty much why I'm here, because I am a multi-hyphenate person. So whilst I'm an author, I'm also pretty much a social media loiterer. I spend a lot of my time on social media. But I think it's just as necessary as, you know, spending time on any craft that you find fuels you and feeds you and keeps you feeling like you're doing something useful of yourself. So I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Emma. I love that. And I love when you introduce yourself really unapologetically, because I think... You have to. But we're in a time where a lot of job titles are quite new, and I would still get that fear of, you know, even when I worked at Condé Nast and I was a social media editor, um, which is a legitimate job, or at least, it, you know, it was at the time. It, it is even more now. But I would still clam up and think, oh, you're judging me for having a job that you don't think exists, but it's actually quite a good job. But I wanted to start off... So in the book, um, I open the book with um, an introduction that's very, <laughs> very well, not scaremongery, but I just like, lay it down. Then the first chapter, I, I kind of open with a lot of um, reflection on what success means now, because I think that it's changed for me, and I think that it's interesting in the dictionary, it's still got the definition that it's like fame, money, power. I think we're all changing from that mentality. We all f- want to find our own definitions. Um, I interview a lot of uh, people in the book and their definitions are wildly different and I loved it. It's one of my favourite parts in the book because I just, I like the fact that everyone's answer was slightly different. So I wanted to start by asking you both because I think your definitions will probably be different. So what, what, Hello. what is going to be successful in a day but in, just in general, what does it mean to you? So I just wanted to mention just quickly, as you were, were talking about her before, you talked about the fact that we need to be really unapologetic, both as women and, in, and as men, in terms of really celebrating our successes. And I was reading something the other day, and I just wanted to mention it, that if you think about any of the most successful sportsmen in the world, think of LeBron James or Ronaldo, when they score a goal or shoot a hoop, they do a celebratory dance. All of their teammates rally around them, and they are celebrated for hours afterwards. And I think we need to get into that mentality. And yes, we might not be in our heads, you know, playing the World Cup or shooting a massive baseball game or or basketball match. But the point is, is that when you make a small successful movement or or a point of action that you really think is going to change the dial in some some way, you should be uh, you should be celebrating that both in yourself and and with the individuals around you. And I think it's quite an interesting analogy because we don't do that enough nowadays and we look at going to a point of what is success we look at these big kind of big picture notions of success so I think when you know when I was younger and I thought about what success looked like to me it was about the acquisition of of material things it was if I had that car or if I managed to go on that holiday and I looked at some of the most successful people that I you know I kind of aspired to be and actually they weren't people necessarily that drove amazing cars or wore nice clothes they were people that represented something and stood by a philosophy and actually it really started to shift my understanding of what happiness and success was going to mean for me and I realized that you know true happiness and success it's almost an amalgamation of experiences throughout your life that trigger you to feel happy and it's less about acquiring material goods along the way you know it's great if you can buy a nice outfit that you feel good in that's you know, fantastic for all of us. But ultimately, you know, and and Steve Jobs did a great job of this when he explained sort of his, his understanding of why he was so lonely. He said, 
you know, I've spent my life trying to change the world. And, and when I was the most sick, I had no one around me at the hospital. And I think for me, you know, true success is making my family feel proud of me, you know, making sure that my friends and, and everyone around me kind of benefits from any of the, ses- the success that I managed to achieve. Um, and actually look at every day as a, as a point for success and a point for happiness as opposed to, you know, life as a journey where at, at the end you, you achieve it. You, you should be feeling that every single day. I also feel like we're always on kind of looking for the next step. So like when you're 12, you know, what success looks like to you is getting a good mark in your GCSEs. And then when you're 18, it's like having a hot boyfriend. And then when you're 21, it's getting a good job out of university. It's like we all need to just take a second to kind of reflect in, like you said, and and recognize small wins because that is what life is made up of. It's made up of the small moments that ultimately become your journey um, and, and I think you're right. It's, it takes time and we need to step away from this kind of crazy world that we live in to, to really kind of center ourselves and, and, and recognize that. What about you? Success for me is feeling self-sufficient regardless of where you are, because like you said, you can have all the money and, you know, the accolades and, you know, all the people knowing who you are, but those things won't stop you from going through real-life problems. Like, let's say your nan is sick and you have 100,000 followers. You having 100,000 followers won't stop your nan from being sick. So that means that there are still problems that transcend the things that we refer to as success, which goes to show that success is more than just, like you said, acquisition. Success has to be about clarity and being able to center yourself and being able to find a safe space within yourself. And that cannot come without you understanding that you have value in yourself to begin with. And that can't actually happen without you detaching yourself from other people's ideas of success and finding a firm root in your idea of success and sticking to that because ultimately your joy doesn't have to look like anybody else's joy for that joy to still be valid. And that for me is what has worked for me in terms of remaining grounded and feeling like no matter where I am, I'm still a sufficient person and that I'm still working really hard. Like, the fact that our heart doesn't even stop beating and, like, if you count how many heartbeats you've had and how many cells are actively working right now to keep you alive, that in itself is very successful because the fact that you're here is, like, so many different functions are occurring right now for you to even be breathing. So it's weird. We put ourselves under so much and we forget to even congratulate ourselves for waking up. Mm. I think I think we can help each other a bit with this though. Okay, we can help each other. But I think, you know, we run so quickly and I definitely know especially with the work that we do we're working on, you know, different time zones. We're very reactive as a business and sometimes a month can go past and everyone's like, "Oh, you look like you had a great time here." But actually I'm so in the moment and so kind of stretched and stressed about making sure we do things at a you know, 100% quality level that you reflect to go, actually, that was really cool that we did that activation. And I was really proud of my team that they delivered and we saw growth that weekend that we did that. Um, and I think it's quite dangerous right now, the kind of level and speed at which we're all moving in. Um, and it kind of takes us collectively to talk about it, to go, okay, what are the tools and tactics? Number one, read Emma's book. To, to kind of get us to a point where actually we are, you know, reveling in the success, but also not ignoring the fact that it might not last forever. Yes, that is a really good point as well, because I think everything is um, temporary in a way. But I wanted to talk about confidence as well, because it's a big part of the book. I think it's all very well saying, here are some tools and here's what you can do. And here's, you know, what the Internet has done for us and here's how exciting it is right now. 
but but none of that matters if you have no, you know no confidence and when you think about celebrating successes i mean i remember in my first job i was in a brainstorm and i and i went to speak and and i was so nervous i just couldn't speak and it was just and i was just thinking of like my 21 year old self in that meeting like couldn't even speak in a meeting and now i'm like doing these talks and things but i didn't even think you know you don't reflect on that very often so um you know no one is born confident how, but you two are very confident i'm very com- i feel confident now it's a it's an ongoing process but do you have any tips on confidence because i do think we're in a bit of a confidence crisis right now for me my tips on confidence I think number one is that you're not always going to be entirely confident and that's absolutely fine. Like balance is very necessary and flaws are just as necessary as you feeling absolutely A1. Like you need to have those days where you don't want to leave the house because you feel like you just aren't top notch because then when you do have those days when you feel top notch, those days feel a lot more um, vibrant because the thing about confidence and happiness and feeling sufficient is that it, it, it's on a spectrum so if you look at how our emotions are laid out you have feelings like sadness and anger and dismay on this side and then you have you know joy happiness and all the other warm yellow feelings on that side but the more you allow yourself to venture further on this side the deeper the feelings on this side feel. So if you aren't feeling your sadness in enough context, you aren't going to feel your own joy in enough context either. So confidence for me is about understanding that every single way I feel about myself is necessary. And that if I constantly feel super amazing and you know unwilling to listen to any kind of criticism because I'm amazing and perfect, then that means that I'm actually not allowing myself room to learn because the learning happens where you're wrong and where you are open to criticism. But then that criticism will only work if you're confident enough to believe that I can grow from this rather than feeling like I've just been condemned, maybe I am terrible. Like taking each thing as an opportunity to learn and grow is what will allow you to feel like everything that you're doing is making sense and is contributing value to the person that you ultimately want to be. Oh my God. I, I don't, be- like, I don't believe you that you're not, you haven't been on earth like eight times before and you've come back to visit us. Um, uh, wow. Louise, yeah, let's put that on the uh, podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to tell a joke. <laughs> right. Um, cool. So yeah, the only other so. thing that I can add to that, which is, you know, difficult as it is, um, is that you can actually be smart about what you let into your space and what you don't let into your space. So you're 100% right. It's all about self-development. And if you change your mindset and, and put yourself in a position of wanting to grow and learn, I think, you know, we can, we can bash off a lot of the stuff that hurts us. But I also think sometimes we're not that consciously aware of the things that are affecting us. So, you know, simple things, and it sounds really um, kind of obvious, but, you know, stop following those people on Instagram that make you feel shit about yourself. Like that girl that every time you show to your friend and go look how amazing she looks I don't look like that don't follow her you can you can provide an environment for yourself that makes you feel the best version of yourself you know don't hang out at that event that evening that that there's somebody that's nasty to you 
you know, if something's troubling you in the office, go and address it with one of your line managers. You can take real actionable um, choices and, and decisions to create a space and an ecosystem around you that is cathartic and that is kind and that is going to not only kind of make you feel better, but also help you on the journey that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we actually all do that because, you know, it's almost like when we watch our guilty pleasure TV shows and we're like oh this isn't really doing anything for me and then we leave being like god I don't look like any of those girls on Love Island like how do they look like that and how long did they train for and oh my god I'm going on holiday in a week and I don't look like that there's some really good memes aren't there of like me on Love Island and it's just you've seen them (laughs) someone like just in a raincoat like I love it but I do yeah so I think just to kind of conclude, I think, you know, it's really important to protect ourselves and to make sure that we're being kind to ourselves and, and noting the things that perhaps call us anx- cause us anxiety and not, not inviting them into our space. Mm. And I guess leading on from confidence and also what we're saying about, um, you know, celebrating successes, um, there's a bit in the book I talk about self-promotion because um, I think it's a big part of our lives now, whether we like it or not, annoyingly, you know, the internet is just getting more noisy, and more filled with things, and we do need to shout about ourselves online. And I don't want, you know, in the book, I, I have been really careful not to make this very media-centric or London-centric. I think self-promotion is asking for a pay rise. It's going to HR. It's, um, it, it, it can be anything. It do, it's not necessarily kind of on Instagram being like, here's, you know, buy my clothes. But you know what I mean, it's not, ju- I didn't want them, you know, it's not about influencers or anything like that, it's just self-promotion as a whole. Um, what's really interesting about um, you both is you're both really, really good at it, but in different ways. So you work in, in a company, and Louise was recently in Stylist Magazine, Day in the Life. Um, but what's interesting about that is you are, you are a brand within a brand, meta, um, but you, but it's important now, isn't it, to have a brand, it, whatever industry you work in, whatever job you have, even if you're a dentist, like you've got a personal brand, or you've got to self-promote what you're personally good at to get ahead. Yeah. Even like um, a makeup artist now has to somehow have something different about her or him to get clients. Um, do you have any sort of has self-promotion been a big part of your job, or is it something you've learned recently? How do you do it? I don't really think I ever thought about it, to be honest with you. I think when I took the job at Bumble, I really believed in their philosophy and the mantra and the mission that that Whitney was trying to achieve. Um, I'm fortunate, my team is fortunate to work for a company that's rooted in empowering women. I mean, how brilliant is that, that I get to work, get to come into work every day and think about campaigns and activations that are going to support women. Your job is literally to empower yourself. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, I think, I never really thought about it as self-promotion. I thought about it more as, I have to be the brand. So when I talk to partners or we hire people or or, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to a friend of mine about why I'm so passionate about my job. I genuinely felt those things. And I think if you look at, you know, any of the most successful brands at the moment, they're, they're mission-driven and they have social impact. And the reason you guys buy into them is because you believe in sustainability or you believe in what, you know, their CEO is saying about in the environment. You know, all of these concepts are, are things that consumers want to relate and, and resonate with and to so that it becomes something that, when they buy the product, it also becomes a part of their representation as an individual. Um, you know, I think as a, as a company and as a brand, we have a duty to deliver activations and campaigns that give back to our users as much as, you know, we're trying to be a business and, and make profit. We try and always make sure that we don't kind of dodge ourselves from staying true to our values and our core beliefs. 
um, which I think is really important. And as an individual, I, I genuinely and sincerely follow that mantra. So I think it's been less about self-promotion for me and, and more about looking at the opportunities in which I can utilize the way that I feel about the brand to support the brand in its wider discourse. Um, I've been fortunate enough, you know, to be in things like stylists, but, you know, the priority there isn't to sell brand Louise. It's to sell brand Bumble that Louise is totally behind. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm from a kind of different space than, you know, influencers and, and a lot of that that community but I think they are brands in themselves as well and they have to represent that um, but in that same breath I think it's still important to say you know in the stylist article it says I get up at 6am every day I do not do that every day um, and also to you know pre present yourself with a sense of realism you know we're we're working for companies and on projects and missions and movements that um, you know, it's useful to have a personal um, approach to it. And I think that's why self-promotion has become so important because it's almost like the only authentic thing left, essentially. But that's the thing with how companies need to change, don't they? And they, like you, that, they've created a space. I, th I, don't, I think a lot of companies still keep people very small. They're not allowing people to be their true selves or they're losing talent. Like companies are just, dr people are dropping like flies and going off and doing their own thing at the moment. Like, so many people are leaving their jobs. And I think that what you've just said is actually a good case study for... Oh, some mutterings there. Um, <laughs> um, but I think companies, if they want to keep people, need to do something like what Bumble's doing. Create a space where you're excited to go to work every day. Yeah, which I don't think is always easy. You know, we work for a creative company, and if you know, you're in the banking world or... I can't think of another example. But, you know, it's, it's much easier for us to say... We're going to inspire the teams to kind of have flexi hours and we're going to take them on amazing trips to inspire them creatively because we need them to be thinking like that because we need activations and partnerships that are going to resonate and engage our users, which is you guys, who are following that type of activity. So if we suppress creativity within our workforce or if we don't hire and have diverse thought, you know, we'll end up not representing the users that we need to be on the product. So as much as it is about inspiring and kind of invigorating that passion, it also makes sense from a business point of view. And that's, I think, where it gets really cool and really interesting because, you know, we're driving forward a business that is profitable and successful while also inspiring people to come into work every day. And I think more companies can and, and you know, the space is opening for people to do that. Yeah, for sure. And you are a empire of a brand. You are... I am, pretty much. You are. Yeah. It is, it yeah, is I like that. amazing. We'll just change my bio to empire. <laughs> but I also love that it's not an overnight success either. And I think that's, you know, people might be discovering you kind of through a mainstream sort of platform if you're, you know, you, you really are at that level now where you're, you have a big platform. But it grew from a small seed, didn't it? And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because you have created a, like a media platform. And I suppose I was thinking about the Control-Alt-Delete podcast the other day. And I was like, I've got to stop thinking about it as just like my hobby podcast because... That is it, not a but, hobby. But that, but no, I know, now it's not. But it started as that. And I think it's a mind shift when you're like, no, this is a legitimate platform and I should treat it like that. So... When did you realise that actually you'd created kind of a big brand and, and you had to kind of take that seriously? So for me, I've always been really excited about what I do. Even when I first started my blog and no one was reading, reading, really reading it, I was still so excited by being able to redesign the layout. And then like my like super, my earliest moment of like ultra excitement was when I discovered that I 
can get Squarespace and then like I can make it look exactly how I want it to and then when I scroll it's like all the bits of the page are moving through each other like HTML5 type stuff and I was like this is a professional website so for me I think when you're someone who really enjoys doing what you do each stage still feels like it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're not doing enough per se it just feels like wow I get to do something really cool and I'm happy to be doing this and each time you get someone, like a new member of an audience for you, you feel like, oh, someone else has like joined the crew. This is so exciting. And then before you know it, or to be honest, before you know it really just means after remaining consistent for a while. So after remaining consistent for a while with what you do, you, re- you realize that you build momentum. And then that momentum turns into you reaching these um, pivotal points in your, in your career, whatever that career is. So for me, I think part of self-promotion and part of feeling really proud of what I do is anytime someone asks me what I do I don't care how petty it sounds I'm like I'm an award-winning blogger (laughs) and genuinely the reason why I do that is because I know the lengths I had to go to win that award I know how hard I worked and continue to work I know that when someone wins an award they're very proud of it and you should be proud of yourself you should feel proud enough to say I am an award-winning name of job And the reason why that is, is because you need to feel excited about what you do because people will feel that excitement and also joining the excitement without actually having a full understanding of what it is that you're doing. And the reason why a lot of us feel really scared to be like, I'm award winning or I'm a really brilliant person at this is because we feel like, oh no, if I, if I'm too proud of myself, I'm taking up too much space, especially as women, we have this fear of taking up space because we've been taught that we should settle for the bare minimum and that we're only allowed to access this much of a world where we deserve as much space as men who hog most of it. And that's unfair. So I've, I'm really, really learning to just be very full in my being. And I remember being a child or being even younger than I am now, I'd be told that being full of yourself is apparently a bad thing, but you can't be full of anyone else. I'm not really sure where that, where that phrase is going. But as a creative person, you do need to be full of yourself. You need to be full of those things that make you feel driven. You need to be full of your career. You need to be full of every single aspect of it. You need to, like, not saying live and breathe it and forget that you have an identity and that you're a person who needs to be nice to other people, but you genuinely need to feel like, I'm so... I'm so driven by the little pieces of success I get from it that if I can reach this stage and I can reach there, because when I look back, I look at the things that were super huge goals for me. And by the time I achieved those goals, I forgot they were even goals, like your friend was saying. Um, And that for me is what keeps me driven and excited because for me, it becomes a little game. Like I feel like I'm playing a game of myself. I mean, this is like major matrix, right? And the goal is just to be as successful as possible. But that idea of success keeps on changing. And so the goalposts keep moving. And I just keep on running after like, the ball. I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but this is really, really fun. And that's how it honestly should feel. It shouldn't feel like a competition. Like Your career should not be a competition. Your career should not be a device used to get back at anyone. You should just be doing it for your entire self. Even if nobody gets it, that's fine because there will always be someone else who gets it. And I remember at the beginning stage of what I do, even now I get a lot of people who don't get it. And that's fine. You don't need to get it because I get it and it matters to me. And it matters to a particular group of people. And those are the people who 
I'm really proud that they exist because those people can start as 10 people, 10 can become 100, which can become 100,000. There are loads of people in the world who will understand what you do. And there are loads of people in the world who are looking for someone like you as well, but everyone's too scared to be that person that they're looking for. So you're in this constant cycle of feeling like you aren't good enough to pursue what you want to pursue. But it shouldn't be that way at all. For me, it's been about believing that First of all, the fact that I'm here, it took like millions of chances and millions of events for things to happen for me to get here. And then I now feel grateful that I'm even still alive. And then I have to do something with the life that I have. And it doesn't have to be something that makes me loads of money. For me, it's something that provides a service to people. And that service doesn't have to be necessarily financially transactional. It can be a service where I'm providing you with a sense of peace or a sense of clarity or providing you with a sense of safety in your identity by seeing that someone who looks like you is living a life that you aspire to live. And through me doing that, it feels rewarding. And before you know it, when you're doing things for people, the more you give people, the more they want to give you because they've ta- they feel like they've you know, received so much from you that they can only want to give you back that love. And that love often comes from them parting ways with their money. And that's a really exciting place to be. But it can- <laughs> You'll be surprised, literally. There are so many people that I see and I'm like, please, can you just allow me to give you money? Can you please give me access to your PayPal? I want to give you money because you're providing a service and that service you're providing has changed the way I view myself and that's so rewarding. So honestly, feeling like you deserve to be here is for me like step one. But what, what's interesting about what you just said, which is so spot on with what I believe, when you are carving your own career, when you are designing your own path and when you are literally whatever multi-hyphenate thing you are, you can't actually directly compare yourself. It takes away comparison because no one has your exact thing going on. And I think what you just said is amazing. There's also a stat um, taken from one of Tim Ferriss's books, actually. But um, uh, that basically all you need is like 0.1% of the internet if you want a million followers. Like a million people, that's just 0.1%. All you need is that for a lot of people to care about what you're doing. And that's not a big percentage at all. Um, so just lastly, because we're going to hand over to some questions, if you have any, there will be on the podcast. So I just wanted to end with, obviously the book is about the future, even though I, you know, in the last chapter, I don't come up with my predictions. I'm not Mystic Meg, but I do kind of give some tools on what we can do to kind of future-proof and, and go with it, because we don't know what's out there. What are you excited about when people talk about the future? And it can be anything. It can be like back to the future style. What do you think on the horizon in terms of tech? Or, would, or just digital culture? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're going to have this renaissance where you know, tech and the digital evolution of a number of different platforms and, and apps and everything that's come out. We're going we're gonna to have a surge in about five years where we all kind of shut down our phones and we all look at reconnecting in real life again. And I think, you know, we need to be prepared for that as a brand. And we need to be acknowledging that, you know, humans have an innate desire to connect. So for me personally, you know, looking at how we can ensure that we're, we're recognizing that as a brand and, and looking at ways as a business we can take what we've created and, and crafted on app and, and in digital and ensure that we're making the most of that offline as well. Um, you know, what's exciting about tech? Loads of things that are exciting about tech. You know, it's, it's made us more productive, more efficient. It's connected us way more than we ever were before. You know, we've, we've brought 15,000 marriages together just through, through Bumble itself. And I think that that's something that's really, yeah, 
gives me hope. It, um, it's something that's really important to remember as much as we kind of argue all the kind of negatives around technology there have been some incredible positives and I think connectivity is one of those now we do need to protect and manage the future of it and make sure that we are remembering that emotion and and physical interaction lies at kind of the core root of how humans kind of feel and, and we need to be respectful of that um, but I think we'll continue to evolve digitally and I think our lives are going to become more hectic and, and more busy and, and tech will enable um, different products and features to kind of help us manage that. I think we just have to remember as, as a collective society and as individuals to, to kind of come back always to ourselves and back to what you were saying, you know, it's about self-reflection. It's about looking at your neighbour and saying, you're doing great if they don't feel like they're good enough. And as much as we continue to evolve within technology, it is still technology. And the root of all kind of core happiness lies um, in, in people. And I think that's something we need to remember. And it is interesting, the stats on Eventbrite, I think, I can't remember the exact stat, but it was like they like four hundred and eighteen million pounds are spent on live events um, with kind of Gen Z and millennials. So they want to they want to be at live things. They want to do things and meet people in person. And yeah, it feels like we're a bit more desperate for that now. Yeah. What about you? I can definitely see a future where women aren't seeking permission from anyone, or we aren't having to seek permission from anyone to dominate every single crevice of the media <laughs> no i mean it i'm trying to i'm trying to literally live by that example i literally aim to dominate every single possible crevice of the media i just see a future where women are praised for being autonomous instead of shamed for that and that's really really exciting and i think we're really really close to it we're genuinely getting there i'm seeing a major shift in social attitudes especially when it comes to feminism and there are so many women who are doing the good work on the internet and really putting out their ideas and forming really, really large, bold, dense communities of women who are either at the beginning stages of, you know, detaching from that misogynistic mindset or they're even, you know, deep in it where they're really, really learning about themselves. I can just see that world where women are taking up the responsibility to unlearn all the internalized misogyny we have in us and see other women as not competitors, but as other women who are just amazing in their own way because you rarely ever see men having to you know compete with each other in order to feel valued but with women we feel like we have to do that and there's a reason why so a world where we don't have to do that is definitely on the horizon i feel i mean i feel though that i think i tweeted it the other day but that i feel that millennial women are very supportive of each other as a whole like i i saw a lot of my bosses it was very competitive and it was very like, I get the job and you don't, ha ha. Whereas I feel like um, we definitely have each other's backs. I was just going to add to that, yeah. just saying, you know, in terms of what's the most important part of all of this in order for us to get there, I think, you know, we need to take a look and, and move back to education and make sure, you know, all of us are kind of of a certain age where, you know, we're aware and we're mindful of kind of the shifts that we've made in terms of kind of women and, and, and feeling empowered and the opportunities we have. But the only way we can make kind of a real universal shift is if, you know, our children and our children's children are taught that from the ground up and that we ensure that the environments that they grow up in have the right positive influences, influences, influences to, to make sure that they, you know, are are coming into a world where they feel that everything and every access is, is an opportunity um, rather than kind of restricted by thought or a system, whether it's education or 
um, upbringing that, that restricts them from certain opportunity. And that, that is the most important. Yeah, totally. I've got to say, though, that the book is not just for women, um, which I'm kind of made like a, you know, that, that was really important to me when I wrote it, that um, I, wanted, I didn't want it to be like, just tailored for women. And I think that I don't want to be preaching to the converted all the time. I, for me, like, I want to have more awkward conversations, just saying could talk to you guys for so many hours thank you for really bringing the messages of the book alive with your personal stories and for being here tonight as a support wing woman team um so thank you um (laughs) and thank you all for coming and if you want to have a signed book um i'll be at the the back i think maybe around the back um and yes thank you and have some drinks and and not not network just meet like we were saying, yeah. Woo!